Okay, listeners, you know what time it is. It's time to elevate your full-body grooming game with precision-engineered tools from Manscaped. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is not only waterproof, but it includes an LED light and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which is trademarked, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an undercarriage deodorant, and the Crop Reviver, a family jewel toning spray. Both super practical, and guess what? They smell good, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs, because who doesn't like a soft pouch for their marbles? The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology, while keeping your pride and joy supported. You need to try this out for yourself, business. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. THEATHLETIC20, all one word, with a two and a zero. Always use the right tools for the job. Get Manscaped. Perform on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, a podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team, hosted by me, John Greenberg, and our own change-up wizard, James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and also check out James's and my work on The Athletic as well. James, big weekend for the White Sox. They get to beat up on the Royals again, yet you're talking about negative stuff. Why? It's like Matt Nagy, the Bears coach, is talking about there's too much negativity in the world. What did yeah, I say that was negative? I mean, you're talking about the you know, Dallas Keuchel's back and Alex Colomay's shoulder uh, maintenance. Come on, let's hear some cheerleading. Let's talk about uh, dancing. Yeah, well, you know, Frank, I'm a little negative on that, too. I think they've lost something <laughs> since Collins went down. Like, they, like, he wasn't playing. and It was clear that, like, he had maybe a bandwidth for organizing the uh, the dances that... <laughs> Guys who are getting more regular PDE don't quite have, and it's gotten very TikTok-y. Um, I wasn't yeah, right? sold on yeah. I, I wasn't yeah, was sold on di- Danny Mendix acting for with the the, the diarrhea bit that yeah. didn't didn't it pop did, to me. Yeah, the TikTok moves in the last one. I see enough of that, right? Like you, you get that filtered in through other people, you know, Instagram and tweeting and stuff. Like, yeah, let's keep it natural. Let's 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 not be. You don't want to be one of those like it's like you don't why we don't want to be one of those writers that get sucked into you know pop culture and, and comparing yeah. everything to the pop culture like it would be like you writing a thing uh, comparing White Sox players to like Cobra Kai characters Teen Wolf. right right Bruce <laughs> Roberts just like, Teen Wolf right exactly it's like you don't want to be that guy and, and they don't want to be those kind of people uh, slavish to uh, the trends so. I agree with you. I think they could have kept Zach Collins around, like how the Eagles are keeping Josh McCown as the uh, as as the emergency quarterback. They're giving him twelve thousand dollars a week to live at home in Texas. That right. they could have just kept Zach Collins here to just to, just to play in the dances. I mean, I, I don't know. Like normally in the playoffs, you have a bunch of guys who are not necessarily on the roster hanging out, but I don't know if they'll be able to do that because uh, like Tyler Saladino was in all the Brewers like celebration. Uh, <laughs> Like right. mob scenes, even though like I don't think he played it in September, but uh, I don't I, know if they can I do that prob- now. I think they probably do it with Collins, though, right? Because he could take the you know his job, but his all his other job you're leaving out is warming up pitchers. So right, so they could keep him for that. It's sad. 
not, not nothing nothing gold can stay <laughs> but let's talk about you know one of the concerns you raised and it's a valid one Dallas Keuchel left his his last start and he's got some back soreness um Alex Colomay their closer and you know one of the few you know real reliable arms in, in that bullpen he's got like a seems like a Jim Tomei-esque maintenance schedule you know to keep going at 31 what was your I mean these are it's good to kind of bring up these concerns because you know the White Sox are making the playoffs so now you have to start thinking about okay do they actually want to do something there yeah and it almost feels unfair to them after um uh, they haven't made the playoffs since 2008 and it's like this amazing thing that they've kindly climbed this mountain to a degree and now it's the focus is instantly shift to like well how sustainable is any of this or how is this going to work but yeah uh, they've been kind of as as I said at the start of the season, you weren't necessarily wanting Dallas Keuchel to even be has to be the the Cy Young type guy to carry the rotation. It was most supposed to be he was supposed to provide innings um, and some veteran leadership, but you weren't really expecting him to find like a new level performance that he hadn't had the last year or two. It turns out that he has, uh, which is great, but also they've like desperately needed it, and they only had four starters really as is. They were a TBA on. Wednesday, um, it wasn't clear if they were pushing back Dunning for some reason. And even if they weren't pushing back Dunning, they'd still have to figure out their fifth slot eventually in some way since they sent down Ronaldo Lopez. Carlos Rodon was supposed to kind of fill that, but then had his back issues that kind of canceled the rehab start. Um, Gio Gonzalez could probably be back pretty soon and, you know, probably give you three to four innings uh, of ball that like seems really ugly but is more effective than it looks uh, and 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 stave you off for a day but is that something that's not going to wear that continue to wear down the bullpen as things go on i don't think anything's really wrong with column a. i definitely wouldn't advocate you know <laughs> giving him a big deal in the offseason i i kind of think you he's in a situation where you thank him for being good for two years and then let someone else see his decline phase but it, it's in general a situation where Guys where you're maybe looking to lower your utter dependence on them are, are now guy, older guys that you absolutely have to ride as much as possible. And you want to make sure you're not riding too much in this process where you've already made the playoffs and maybe they're they're diminished by the time October actually rolls around. And I think, you know, unless uh, I'm going by outdated information, the White Sox have been pretty good about these kind of maintenance schedules and kind of keeping their pitchers healthy. I always... And this goes back years, so I, again, I don't know if this is still applicable, but like when when the Strasburg thing happened, when they shut him down for that postseason, and it just was weird because you're like, well, the White Sox actually did a really good job with Chris Sale around that same time uh, of giving him time off and making sure he was healthy and he could finish a season, and it seems like they really generally do right by pitchers. Yeah, I, given the, the Tommy Johns that they've gone through the past three years, right. I think they... During like the the two thousands and certainly early twenty tens, just in terms of like pure injury prevention, they were just out on another level with the rest of the league. Um, right, they, they were so much better. Um, you know, everything it was about Herm Schneider and probably not enough mentioning Alan Thomas. It was just keeping them almost like a, a competitive advantage they had over everyone else to kind of compensate some of their competitive disadvantages in terms of how much they spent. <laughs> I think they've fallen back to the pack uh, a lot uh, over these past couple of years. And, you know, that's to be some of that because, a little bit. Right. Some of that because of the people they've added too. Right. Know, they, they've, they've definitely started pursuing these, you know, high octane arms and, you know, the biggest correlating factor of the injury is really velocity. Um, 
and uh, that's going to happen. I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're below average in any respect. And you you can't really find much in the way of pitchers um, who are slagging um, their their physical maintenance program afterwards. And you, you find a lot of you know Keuchel and and Giolito and you know all the prominent guys have kind of gone out of their way to to praise them. And yeah, that, that you always kind of get positive talk while they're in the organization and whatnot. But I, I I do think yes, they do right by their guys. And I don't I didn't even really think. I really thought Colome was just saying like this is what the standard work that goes into this uh, peek behind the curtain, rather than saying like yeah my shoulders banged and I'm <laughs> I'm holding it on by a few threads. It, he was just saying like if you want to be a veteran pitcher at 31, this is what you have to do to kind of be ready uh, every single night as a closer. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's um, it, it's a delicate balance that maybe they really haven't had to deal with in 11 years uh, to make sure that they're not pushing too hard down the stretch because they have an extra month of baseball that right. they hopefully be planning for. Right. By the, the last time this was, this was a factor. Things were a lot different in 2008. <laughs> yeah. Like their go-to move the last couple of years with Giolito in 2017 and, you know, Giolito last year even was like, well, you know, we're not really sure. There's some iffy factors. Uh, it's mid-September. We're not going to playoffs. Shut them down. That's not really an option right now. Right. It's crazy how long it's been. I mean, really, like, what were you doing in 2008? Uh, I was in college. What year? 2008, I was a, I was a junior, I think. Uh, I Let's put it this way. I made my sketch comedy troupe uh, turn the <laughs> channel at our after party so I could watch uh, the final out of uh, the final inning of the blackout game. Wait, so what was, uh, what was the name of your sketch comedy troupe? It was just inherited from because it was like a student oh, okay. club, so it was like okay. humor artist or something like that. How funny! We, we need to give it a goofy, jazzy name or any kind of like that. It's funny because right after that is I started. I was kind of, um, I was in like a weird stage in my career. I just turned thirty, and I like wanted to do more with writing. You know, I had gone to grad school and still trying to figure. out had the same job and was still trying to figure things out. And I started doing Second City, I think maybe that January, like right after New Year's. And I got a buddy of mine I worked with and went to grad school to help me. And now he's like, he writes for Saturday Night Live. And I'm doing a White Sox podcast. So that's our sketch comedy. You're right. Our our shared (laughs) sketch comedy background. Like thinking about 2008, and that'd be the last time they made the playoffs. I mean, that's like... The last time they made the playoffs was before Obama was was elected for the first time. <laughs> yes, his, his entire presidency. <laughs> As the, they had a White Sox fan in the White House, and they couldn't make the playoffs one damn time. Is kind of funny, right? I'm looking at the two. I'm, I'm also looking at the 2008 Notre Dame football schedule. That was not a good year for you guys. No, that, that's what drives you into sketch comedy type of situation, I guess. It's funny though. You beat Michigan, but I guess that probably wasn't a good Michigan team. Um, which Rich year Rod, two thousand eight. They had Rich Rod. I think that was the game where like I, there was like uh, maybe like eleven fumbles or something like that, and they were trying to run like that like tiny McGuffey kid over and over again. Ryan, yes, might as well have been. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at their schedule now just for fun, and they, they had they, the USC game, not a good one. <laughs> it's no. thirty eight to three. <laughs> God. So yeah, that would look. get you into sketch. <laughs> They did win the Hawaii Bowl, though. Did you go to that? Did you fly out for it? 
I, I did not. I, I watched it on TV. I remember being very pumped up for that game and thinking like Golden <laughs> Tate was going to be like the savior. It was a Christmas Eve game. You, you, yeah. the whole family gathered around. No, gathered we, around the hearth. We, we already kind of got together for Christmas Eve games, and that was just something that was on type of situation. Okay. All right. All right. Well, back to the White Sox a little bit. <laughs> you know, you wrote a great story, and it was really well received. Some, some. If you haven't read it yet, well, I mean, if you're listening to this, you've probably read it. But if you haven't, by some miracle, you accidentally clicked on this podcast and you're still listening. Um, it's about Lucas Giolito and his changeup, uh, the changeup whiz. Um, and you got some really good quotes fr- from uh, his personal catcher, James McCann. But really, it's just about that one pitch. And describe that one pitch that you really – I don't know if that sparked the idea for this or was just the perfect anecdote. Uh, the Cole Tucker pitch? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of just like watching the swings. Like people have asked like when I thought the Lucas Giulio no-hitter was possible. And it was probably a second inning where you're, I've just seen like these wild cuts on pitches that are both – floating up in the zone and still have like hitters just seemingly whole seconds out in front of it, even though that's, you know, impossible. And so just at that point, I was just kind of cataloging all of them as they're coming across. Like the other one I had in there was Josh Bell, like flinging his bat into like his own dugout at a ball at one point as well. But the Cole Tucker one just looks like, as you cover this game a lot and you watch pitching ninja clips and whatnot, you kind of get over the the sense a little bit of what is this dude swinging at? Um, because you know that, you know, there's tunneling going on, you know, that they have so little time to make a decision, you know, and all that. And, but I feel like Cole Tucker brought me back to that fan level of like, what are these people seeing? Cause this is a pitch that like is really slow starts like above the letters and like, then takes this right turn into the White Sox dugout, and it's just like the most hopeless wave at it. And it's, there's something he's doing deceptively that you don't see because if you grow up, you're always told, or you grow up listening to Steve Stone, even that you know high changeups go a long way, and it's just something he gets to throw all the time. And even looking around the league, and I expected probably to see a bit more people who were similar to him in, in usage, uh, and I certainly expect to see people who will model him going forward. But no one really just throws just high changeups, letter high, all the freaking time the way he does. And it's a function of the fact that he throws his fastball up there so much and with so much success. And to the point where, you know, there was that game against the Tigers where James McCann called nine changeups in a row. And we asked him why he was doing that. And he's essentially like, well, they were out in front still. So I was going to keep calling them as long as they're out in front. And it's really insane because you're you hear about how that's not supposed to be effective on, on major league hitters how starters are supposed to need three pitches and have to mix up locations or else they'll get figured out but he really can just kind of toggle between these two things over and over again and his fastball is just so dominating players minds even though it's not as fast as he threw in high school um it's, it's just something that he can kind of get away with anything that looks like it and it I kind of is amazing to me it kind of helps too. I'm sure that he's so long and gangly that it has fastball to. looks even faster, right? I mean, and he's throwing. I mean, you said it. He's throwing 35.7 percent changeups as a, a right now. I love the one that you, the clip you showed. It wasn't just the top of the, you know, the main one of Cole Tucker swinging at that that really high one, but you also showed this 80 mile per hour changeup right in the heart of the zone. I think to a Brewers hitter. Yeah, so that was right to Sogard. That is a hilarious pitch. Yeah, it's like it's, one. That's like one where you tell like your little leaguers like swing, <laughs> like the pitch is right there. <laughs> swing at it. And uh, I really just I picked that one because I couldn't pick 
six, seven, eight or nine, ten clips to just put in. Like there was right. something there was a game in Cleveland this season where Carl Santana came up with like the bases loaded in the sixth inning in a zero zero game and Giolito just split the plate with an eighty mile hour changeup up in the zone as a first pitch and Santana just stared at it. And Santana has like the greatest plate discipline possibly in the league to cover up some of his other issues uh that are kind of slipping. But it, it's it's amazing how much he has guys fooled or on their heels that he gets to just it just looks like he's getting away with shit all the time, but you can't just, you know, watching Major League Baseball that you're not getting away with things. It's it, you have to legitimately earn them to to throw these pitches, and um, he apparently his fastball is just such that it's just in guys' heads that they are constantly timed up for that and and can't take advantage of this pitch that and just can't see it coming and can't recognize it. Um, even as, as goofy as it looks to us on TV, it's kind of weird to watch. Right. And it's, it's also just such a great story about his development. His dad talked to you about it, you know, cause he was a, a classic, you know, fastball curveball guy. And then he just kind of ditched it for the change. And you've been writing about that for years, but you know, it is, it's a, it's definitely something that if pitchers are coming up and they like to read and they, you know, this new era of pitchers that, that are a little maybe nerdier than, <laughs> than in the past, you know, it's definitely something to think about for these guys and possibly emulate. Right. Because watching the whole thing of, especially in 2018, um, it was, and, and even when they traded for him, when they talked about getting him back to his old mechanics and whatnot, uh, you, you thought that the return of Lucas Giolito being a good pitcher would be the return of the guy that he looked like, which would be the guy who's throwing a hundred and that guy with the huge overhand curveball. And we, so you'd always be asking him, like, how's the curveball coming? He's like, yeah, I'm working on it. And he'd talk about working on a slider, but you watch him more and more. It's like, really, this changeup is his best pitch, and I feel like he's realizing it. And it seems like what works out of his arm slot more than anything else. And you kept waiting for this old guy to return and not realizing it, it maybe took me a little bit longer to realize that this is a way, even though it's not the way I ever seen a starting pitcher work or succeed, this is what works for him. And it's really working for him. And he really shouldn't bother too much doing this other stuff outside of like, you know, a little project on the side to get his curveball and, and slider the back where he wants to be. Because th- this is something that's, that's devastating in a way that we, I think that a lot of people emulate him and I'm not saying he's the greatest pitcher in baseball. Shane Bieber is right now, but it, it's really new, and that, I feel like that's really fascinating. That's something that you know his dad was talking about. Is that yeah, you want to win championships and you want to uh, win Cy Youngs and whatnot, but it's it's you're going to have a legacy in baseball of kind of creating a new way to succeed, both with the way he changes delivery around his arm action and also throwing freaking floating eighty mile hour changes up in the zone to major league hitters. James, let's pause for a moment, then we'll be back with the rest of the show. All right. So while Lucas Giolito is continues to impress, you know, we you had to write uh, this past week about Yon Moncada, and it's been a question, you know, all season, kind of what's up with him. Uh, and he finally was pretty open about it and said that, you know, I don't, I think this is something we might have thought about, but we didn't know, and you wouldn't, no one really wanted to speculate on the record given the seriousness. But having coronavirus, as we've read about, has side effects, and one of those for him is fatigue. He just hasn't had the legs, and they're trying to figure out how to how to kind of maintain him without putting him on the DL. Uh, you know, what are you? What do you? What did you get from talking to him, and, and what do you think happens next? 
I think he just plays through it because I don't necessarily. It's not like they can't IL him. So, like they they could, but like, but right. You 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 put someone on the IL for a hamstring strain. Uh, the inflammation goes down. The the soreness right. goes That's down. The they come back. They're, they're not necessarily going to put him on the IL for ten days, and he's going to feel good. Um, that's, that's not necessarily how it would work. And they certainly don't have a roadmap for how it would work. I mean, the, the, the general takeaway, um, you know, from talking to the epidemiologists I spoke to was that, you know, yeah, we know this happens, but I can't tell you when he's going to, when anybody's, uh, symptoms go away or, or when anybody stops feeling well, we, there's, there's certainly been situations where, uh, people have gotten the virus and and, and felt better. It's something she noted ironically is she, she feels like uh, anecdotally from what she dealt with, and she's the epidemiologist running kind of the COVID response for Cook County Health System, was that she felt like a lot of these lingering cases were for young, healthy people who had mild symptoms and basically got over it in you know a week or two, like Mankata does, and maybe some of the people who got hospitalized or put on ventilators they came back and once they were done with it, they're actually done with it. So it's 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 kind of unknown. And at this point he's not getting worse. I mean, it's not like he's still sick or anything, like, but they don't really know when he's necessarily going to start recovering like he used to. And I, it feels too soon and I don't, it feels too dire and maybe out of turn to say like, he'll, he'll never be the same, but they don't necessarily say like, how does necessarily lung damage or, you know, organ damage necessarily recover? I, I don't know if we, we know for sure. I, ideally he would start, getting his strength back uh as he's six months a year out of this whole thing but it's it's a it's a real situation where there's there's damage and we don't we obviously are not in a situation where there's extensive studies to know what the long-term projection is because this is a novel coronavirus as you've heard countless times right exactly and i think you know if you don't have it it's easy for people to say like all right you know it's just like an injury or just an illness where people get better but no one, no one really knows. And that's, it's scary. I think that, you know, I don't know how much people, you know, really, I, I, I saw the story going around. I wonder how seriously people are taking it or just how much we're compartmentalizing everything going on with coronavirus to our own experience, right? Like if you're for someone like me who has his kids at home, I don't have, you know, I don't have any friends who are sick with it, but you know, my, you know, a lot of people's issues are like, oh, school, or, you know, this is how it's affecting me without, you know, here's Yohan Moncada, a young, healthy guy, and and it's we're seeing like what it actually is and how scary this is. You don't know, we don't know. Like it's it's just tough to have an opinion about any of this stuff when we have. Or it's not tough to have an opinion, but it's tough to know like what's going to happen in the future because, like you said, it's it's called novel coronavirus for a reason. Yeah, I mean, by all respects, he's doing well. Like he's healthy. He's playing Major League Baseball. He's not trash he's above average player right now but he's you know 162 games in six months is like this huge physical grind and uh you know a a gauntlet that a lot of guys it's a it's a it's a big separator for a lot of guys in the league a lot of players are are known for not you know being able to handle it and being able to perform consistently throughout it is what separates you the good from great players to a degree so yeah even if it's just taking him down the slightest tick from superstar athlete to just very good athlete. You know, I I think we would see that day to day on, on television. And that'd be a lot for him to kind of, to kind of bear. And it wouldn't be unreasonable that it would affect him 
on some level going forward. All right. Let's segue from that, uh, you know, uplifting uh, note to the White Sox schedule. Uh, I'm just looking at the schedule, man. It's like really is it really is the second week of September, James, because it feels, you know, feels like it's May, you know, through, through with the season. But like there are not a lot of games left. And the big ones to highlight are obviously four against the Twins at home and then four at Cleveland near the end of the season. And then obviously there's the Cubs series at the very end. And you look at their their record, 26 and 15, first place by a half game going on right now. That record, nine and one against the Royals, six and one against the Tigers, two and four against the Twins and the Indians. Two and oh against the Pirates, so they get to play two more times. Yeah, and they, with with off days uh, on each side, right? Right. So they could really go full uh, full bore against these these pesky pirates. I mean, I think they're using it to basically rest and reset their rotation with Gilito and uh, Keuchel. But given that they, I think they outscored the Pirates like uh, fifteen to three or something uh, <laughs> the previous series. It'd probably be enough either way. Yeah, I, I, at this point, they're still like in this little soft uh, portion of the schedule. They're racking up wins, but. Um, I'm really hesitant to, you know, rain too much on the parade of probably literally the greatest season in decades. But, uh, yeah, I I think at some point um, soon the conversation will switch to uh, can they really beat good teams? Are they really just bump slayers? Even though, by all means, at the start of the season, bump slayers was like, you know, an aspirational situation for them and to to kind of cast doubt on the fact that Luis Robert can just hit bad pitching to – to the middle portions of Missouri, you know, is, is still a revelation that should be celebrated. But yeah, I, I think they've probably been exposed a little bit against Minnesota and, and Cleveland um, in their, their previous bouts. And the fact that the pitching has taken a hit since then, and you know, it, it, they're not super convincing after the first two slots of the rotation and they still don't have Aaron Bummer back. Um, I, I, I would, my expectation or my, my doubt would be that, um, they'd probably shake out this stretch and, and become a wild card team and, and not a division winning team. So you're not a big, that four games though. It's 14th against the 17th against the twins. You're not, you're not super confident. I think the twins are coming like just to, from the, the night and day of when they had Buxton and center. And when they didn't, the, the twins looked a right. lot more viable. I, I think they're probably shading towards getting healthy. Um, once they get Mitch Garver back and Jake go to Rizzi, they probably won't look quite as a uh, stretched as, as they have uh, over this past month or so. And, you know, Cleveland can still really pitch and, you know, I haven't, we haven't necessarily seen a clear example that the white Sox offensive approach does great against Cleveland. Yeah, are we going to have to have Hayes on the podcast again? You never have to have Hayes. You never have to talk to Hayes. You never have to go out drinking with Hayes. It's it's an avoidable situation that people just seem to habitually fail to avoid. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, four against the Indians. That'll be an interesting one. I think. We'll, do you want to go to that? Should we make the decision on the podcast? You're going to go, right? Uh, Trip to Cleveland. Uh, I'll do what it, what's asked. <laughs> what? It, I mean, it's a situation the, that could be clinching a spot. So yeah, I right. would get the. That's argument. why I would say you want to watch these guys celebrate on the field. Yeah, with uh, you know, a, well, given the Giolito no hitter, it doesn't seem like there's really going to be any limits to what they do to celebrate when their emotions get the best out of them. So yeah, I know. I, I right? guess I would see it. Right, they'll probably have to do all their if they're if they're uh, pouring champagne on themselves, they'll have to do it outside. Make I guess that'd be safest, right? 
Yeah, you would think. You know, I mean, very interesting well, that we're talking about this. It's, uh, could they? It's a brave could they new clinch, world, James. Could they clinch a playoff spot? Like, because there's eight I, slots, they could clinch right, the playoffs. Do you celebrate? Do you celebrate while Cleveland is spot? still ahead of them in the division, and then celebrate on Cleveland's field that they're clinching um, a playoff spot? That's what I wonder. I, I guess. This is the problem of not us not having clubhouse access is we can't ask these stupid questions to people. How are you going to celebrate? You know, those type of, you know, dumb questions that, that definitely would be asked right now if we had clubhouse access. Cause well, I, I asked remember Collins and, and Mendick and they mostly got spooky about like, well, you know, we don't want to look too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't ask those guys. I mean, you'd ask like the guys that are, you know, people, a, that ones that, you would ask like Eloy, he's, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you ask like the guys who are going to do the celebrating and like dominate it. Although not, you know, the dancing with dubs guys, I'm sure will, will, there'll be a lot of dancing. You think they'll do like a line dance? Like personal Jesus? <laughs> it's just my, is personal Jesus a line dance? Well, it's, it's, that's, the, it's not a line dance. It's uh what's the, what's the term for it? There's a dance to it. There is. This is, this is outdated. Well, no, I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of a different song. I'm sorry. I think I don't know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll race that. I'm getting a little lightheaded. If James McCann hits like two home runs in their clincher, they probably will line line dance. <laughs> because he learned a line dance in Santa Barbara, California. Yeah, there's a personal G. I'm right. Okay, there there is one. The personal Jesus line dance. I remember it. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why people did it, but it's true. But yeah, James McCann's line dancing back in Santa Barbara, I heard, was really good. Who's who's who on the team is old enough to be a big my per- personal Jesus guy? Is Edwin Encarnacion like a huge Depeche Mode dude? He he might be. Yeah, I think so. We should ask he's him a, next time you talk. He's to good him. age of it. <laughs> I think next time or next time you guys have him on Zoom, just just straight up don't no context, and just say, hey Edwin, we were wondering, um, are you a big Depeche Mode guy? And just see what happens next. Maybe that could be your question to everyone. He can't be any more confused than the time a reporter tried to ask him a question in Spanish. Uh, All right. (laughs) What was his response? (laughs) Okay. There should be like a, there should be a Twitter account of videos every time um, non-Spanish speaking reporters try to ask players questions in Spanish in public because the reaction is almost never good. It's usually like, cause they're not good at, people aren't good at it. You know, it's rare to find someone who's like truly fluent in conversational Spanish. And it's always like really embarrassing. It's always just like such a change up because he's there. He knows he's talking to English speaking reporters. He's prepared for questions in English and he's prepared to rely on his interpreter. Right. He sees the white people facing him. You throw him this and he's just like, where where is this coming from? I think, what's his name? John Morosi does it a lot. I feel like he might give them a heads up, though, that he's going to do it when he tries. I've seen him try it. Um, you know what? You, you, you and I have talked about. It. You wish we wish you you had uh, done some Spanish immersion. It would be very helpful right now. I, um, you know, R- R- Rick Rick Hahn was uh, talking on the radio about all the Spanish lessons he did in in quarantine. Um, so. He, he told me what program he used, so maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll have a leap forward this off season. Yeah, exactly. This will be that'll be your your big uh, you know instead of instead of learning a new pitch, that'll be your thing. Yeah, and then you can be the guy embarrassing yourself 
<laughs> in interviews with, with 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 the showboating with the showboating uh move to think that you're getting something i remember i will say the a funny story i remember that um the trib had this uh this guy luis uh i forget how you pronounce the name luis arroyve or whatever he covered the fire and he also did end up doing some like uh entertainment type stuff and he spoke spanish a fluent spanish speaker uh, i forget where his family's from i think paraguay maybe um and they brought him in for the 2005 playoffs to, to try to you know, talk to Contreras and El Duque and everything and Uribe. And we were like, how's that going? He's like, honestly, they're, they're, these guys are pretty much just as boring in Spanish as they are in translated English. He's like, there's really literally no point for me to be here except just to hang out. Yeah, I, I think Fabian um, did a, a story where he interviewed uh, our die, our, our, um, our angels writer, where he interviewed Juan Moncada in Spanish. It's like, oh, I wonder if this is going to be a you know a really deep dive. And then I read it. I was like, oh, it's still Juan Moncada. That makes sense. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like finally I can open up to someone. I remember I once said that to Jorge Ronger about, uh, I was like, hey, maybe you could do a Moncada story for us freelance. He's like, well, I don't think so. And they reminded me of the story he did for, they did about Moncada and Vice Sports. Right. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I don't think I'm the right guy for that one. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, I guess I should have done a little more research before I said that. All right. That's enough for today. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, James, keep reading James in the athletic for more white, hot white Sox news. They'll be at in uh, Pittsburgh for a couple games with some off days. Um, and things are going to start heating up pretty soon with the twins. So uh, keep listening, keep reading us and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks.